What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Joining us today is Dr. Michael Pariser. Dr. Pariser is a psychotherapist in private practice in Los Angeles, California. He has more than 20 years of experience treating emotional issues. Dr. Pariser is a certified psychoanalyst who practices from a contemporary relational model. He is also the author of No More Mr. Nice Guy, The Hero's Journey, a step-by-step guide to becoming an integrated male. Dr. Pariser believes that at the heart of all mental health issues are feelings that are experienced as unbearable, so they are replaced by oversimplified approaches that don't work in the real world. The solution is to reintegrate your feelings, which will provide a greater sense of freedom, effectiveness, and aliveness. Dr. Pariser is also a recovering nice guy. In addition to his personal work in this area, since 2012, he has been helping nice guys find their way to greater confidence and masculinity. Dr. Pariser, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. That was a great bio. I, 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 I'm glad. I'm glad I wrote. Listening to that, I thought, yeah, oh yeah, I'd like to listen to me. I, I might have something to say. Good, good. So, give us your background in terms of how you got into the field of psychotherapy, and then if that's different from how you got into kind of nice guy work. Yeah, uh, I got into psychotherapy right after I was born. Uh, I had a terrible childhood. And that'll do it. Um, we, I think that um, when you grow up in a family where there is a, a kind of a one dominant parent or two, or a lot of fighting, a lot of danger, an explosive parent, a parent that will collapse into a depressive darkness, um, where you have to watch your step all the time or something terrible will happen, you start to become a good listener. You start to become very observant. And you start in particular to be able to detect and pick out another person's emotional state. To be able to be to adapt your behavior accordingly. So let's say you have a father who drinks a lot and and blows up and starts hitting people or throwing things. That's very dangerous to a small child. So the child has to watch for what mood is daddy in? How many drinks did daddy have? He's really uptight if he doesn't have any, he's gets better after one, two, he's terrific, three, maybe at four, 
we we are at DEFCON level and and it's time to like go play outside. So same thing with me, except it was my mother, not my father, and um, and and she was very unpredictable. And so I you had I had to learn to be extremely observant. Um, and it didn't pay off right away. I had a whole other career in the movie business, although the same thing kind of worked there where I had to be kind of pick out the emotional state of the director or the producer or the star, whoever was the most volatile person on the set and try to make that person happy. But eventually I shifted into becoming a therapist because I thought, you know, if I'm gonna like listen to people's emotional problems and pay attention to what's going on, I'd like to be paid for it. And so <laughs> I became, I, mean, I, yeah, became I, I know that myself. <laughs> yeah, so now I, I get paid by the hour to, to be observant about people's volatile emotional states. Mm. And that's that's how I became a psychotherapist. It, I'm being a little flippant, but um, but that is basically the truth. It's I be I got good at it early on in life by practicing with a you know a, with a difficult patient, my mother, mm -hmm. and eventually I was able to use it when um, I I needed to shift careers in in midlife. Absolutely. Th and thank you for sharing that um, and being vulnerable about your past. That always helps our listeners kind of connect. Oh, I had a similar situation or learn from that. So thank you for that. I'm curious, what parts of yourself did you either lose or temporarily lose and then have to reclaim due to your mother and her type of behavior? For example, was there anything that you had to kind of store away because it wouldn't work with her systems that you then reclaimed, say, later in your either nice guy recovery or your own personal journey? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and two things come to my mind right away. Um, one I write about in the book and one I didn't write about. So the one I wrote about is about desire, that when you have a parent who um, – is emotionally reactive and needs certain things emotionally to, to stay stable. If you start introducing your own desires into that mix, I want this, I want that, without awareness of what's going on, it can create tremendous conflict. If you say, I want to go to Disneyland, and your father says, shut up, you selfish brat. Like, what's a six-year-old going to do with that, right? Yeah. So little by little, you learn not to talk about what you want. And little by little, when that, as that happens, it's almost like it becomes a vestigial organ like an appendix, it stops functioning altogether. It just sits or doesn't, it doesn't do anything. And so you have no access to your own desire. And that's what happened to me. It's like, I, I didn't know what I wanted. And nice guys don't know what they want. Like, 
I can't tell you the number of times, you know, a nice guy has sat in front of me on a on my therapy couch and I and they say, "Well, uh, I want to be happy." And I say, "All right. Well, what makes you happy?" And they say, "I don't know. I have no idea." When push comes to shove, they don't know. Um, and that's why when let's say it's time to go to a movie or go to dinner, they always turn to the partner and say, well, what do you want? What do you want for dinner tonight, honey? They're really good at going out and making it happen for somebody else because they have a lifetime of experience doing that. But like me, I, and if you said to me, I, I want sushi, I will find you the best sushi in town. I promise you, we will have a great time. But it's only because it's what you want and I can work to make you happy. I just can't initiate the desire to make myself happy on my own. So that's one thing I've lost. Yeah. The other thing that I lost was a sense of myself as a worthwhile and valuable and lovable person. Uh, so I grew up with a sense of myself as fundamentally defective in some undefined way that made me unlovable, alien, and unfit for human company. And so um, the sense of myself as warm, lovable, um, of value to, to somebody else had absolutely no place in my life. And both of these that, that you know, it, to, I'm sorry, just to finish, it left me moving, generally speaking, or living inside of a black hole, which I describe as my own personal hell. And we all have a hell that we can drop into, a dark cavern, a black hole, that when we drop into, we really believe we belong there. And that's what, so I lost, I lost my, I lost my humanity. I lost my sense of being a human being with a right to a place on earth along with other human beings. I, I, I got a sense of myself as an outcast, a subhuman um, who deserved to live, you know, in a black hole under underground. And One I needed to recover both of those. Yeah, yeah. And Dr. Priester, I want to thank you for, again, going deep here because I know you're not the only one out there who has experienced this. And my, my old coach used to say to me, uh, Brendan, you don't, you're not suffering from terminal uniqueness. So <laughs> thank you for, for being, that. yeah, thank you for opening the kimono here. And I, I certainly resonate in my own past with my parents um, and my experiences. So the next question, which I'm sure the audience is very curious to learn, is if we took those kind of two buckets, one being you either suppressed your needs and wants or you became disconnected from even knowing what you wanted, and number two, kind of your sense of value and worth, how were you and or are you able to reclaim that? And what have you done to 
figure out what you actually want. Feel confident to lead, say, a feminine partner towards a meal or an activity that you want to do um, without a covert contract, as Dr. Clover mm. would put it. Um, how were you able to regain that sense of value and worth in, in your own humanity? I know those mm -hmm. are kind of bigger questions, so take your time, break those down one by one if you'd like. All right. Well, um, I'll start with a kind of an overarching sense, which is I did a lot of work. I was in therapy a long time because I was kind of, I was really fucked up. Um, and um, I kind of divide my therapy into two stages. Um, so I worked for many years on, um, mostly on the darkness, but then I also on a lot of other problems. But um, I did focus deeply into the darkness and I tried my best to go to hell. And that really helped. Um, so when I, I talk about people suffering from unbearable affect states, unbearable feelings, um, one of the biggest ones is the cluster of feelings that goes along with darkness. So it has to, a lot to do with self-hatred and shame. It's what we call depression, is a depressive core experience of uh, despair, futurelessness, lovelessness, and a fundamental aloneness. So though, even though we don't actually suffer from terminal uniqueness, we experience ourselves as suffering from terminal uniqueness. Yeah. So um, uh, on an objective basis, your coach is 100% right. On a, on a subjective basis, uh-uh. We're, we all believe we are uniquely terrible. The worst fucking person on the face of, not even on the face of the earth, below ground. The whole where, universe. Where we deserve to live. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, so I did, I started to do a lot of work there by going into it. And for me and for a lot of people, the way in is the way out. You, you get out of hell by going through it. Um, there's a quote that I, I, I took from Dante that I have in the book, and it says, um, the gates of hell open from the inside. Mm. So you, you, can't, you can't just make it go away. You've got to kind of experience it, integrate it, and then you can kind of escape from its prison. It yeah. becomes part of you rather than you being part of it. I, I for sure agree with that. And in my own personal journey and the people that I work with, you know, a lot of times people come to me and they say, Brendan, I want to be rich and happy. And I say, do you really want it? Because if, if you want to come on this journey with me, forget the rich, the happy, the, uh, you know, connecting to your emotions, healing your wounds, you got to get in there. And it's like when I first started studying for the SATs, you learn a whole new way of thinking and then your test scores go down before they go up. And sometimes right. it, it gets messier before it gets better. So I really appreciate the sentiments of that 
of that uh, advice. Anything else, in, maybe in terms on the other bucket of kind of learning more about what you wanted and what you needed? Obviously, when we have parents who don't acknowledge our needs because they're so caught up in what they need to survive and they yell and scream and cause pain when we express ourselves, we certainly will suppress what we want in life. And that shows up in our friendships and our relationships and that self relationship. So how were you able to both connect with what you actually wanted and needed in life and get more comfortable kind of speaking your truth? That's something that I've been very focused on lately is speaking up directly to clients or friends and having some of those crucial conversations and holding your ground. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's something that I really got um, after I read Dr. Glover's book, No More Mr. Nice Guy. What, what happened was, I, yeah, I, I kind of went through the darkness and I became kind of more human. But as a human being, I, I found myself dealing with this problem and that problem and this interactive way of being that didn't work and that fundamental thing that I kept tripping over. And it was um, um, like being in a swarm of bees and you know you would get rid of one and get stung by two more over here. And I couldn't really make sense. And I, I kind of despaired, you know, I, th I thought maybe, you know, look, maybe I just have to live with being a dysfunctional human being all my life. And I, I guess I wish I could be like other people. Yeah, I get it. Maybe I'm not fundamentally unlovable and defective, but I got a lot of problems and I don't know what to do without them. And, and if I were to take them one at a time, it could take me hundreds of years of therapy to actually, you know, get my shit together. Like it'll be on my gravestone. I finally got my shit together. Um, so then I read No More Mr. Nice Guy and it changed because what happened was suddenly the swarm of bees had a hive so, and a queen so that the picture started to, I got perspective that I didn't have before. It was like getting out of the swarm and taking a step back and noticing what was going on on a larger scale and why I kept getting stung. And once I started working, understanding that and working on the kind of central issues, I could start to say things like, you know what? Um, I have been, I could notice that I was not putting out what I wanted. I was doing like all kinds of tricky things to avoid saying what I wanted. I was doing all kinds of like um, deceptive maneuvering to stay away from my honest expression of what I want, what I need, what I feel, what I like, what I don't like, what I don't want. Um, and uh, in the belief that that was going to get me rejected, which of course would send me back into hell, right? So finally, I, I could hear and like, A, I wasn't unique. And B, this was the problem. 
And so one of the things that I started doing is making a conscious effort to reanimate my own desire. And it's um, in the beginning, I, I didn't have a coach for this, even though I was in therapy and I had a really good therapist who could say things like, you know, it's okay to want things and it's okay to say what you want. And it's okay if people don't like that. It wasn't all that reassuring. So I started, um, I had to go out and practice. And I had to, I didn't, and I also didn't know how to do it. So the next, I made a decision. Okay, next time I'm in some interaction where there's a choice to be made, I'm going to say what I want. So I think, I can't remember what it was. It was, you know, what, what do you want for dinner or like a dinner or a movie or something like that. And I, cause I thought I better start small on this one, right? So, um, I think what I did was I, I went in, I was living with a woman or dating a woman and I just sat by myself. I can't remember in the bathroom, the bedroom, something. And I just stayed there for an hour thinking about what I wanted for dinner. And I could watch my mind go through all these convolutions like, what would she want for dinner? Or like, I want this. Well, she would want that. That's not what you, and I have to like kind of work my way through all of that until I finally could get to the place where I could say, okay, this is what I want for dinner. Like I have to pretend she was not alive. She didn't exist. If I were all alone, what would I want for dinner? Where would I want to go? If, if this were my last day on earth, where would I want to go for dinner? And then I could find, it was exhausting, but I could, I finally could like go call her up and say, okay, I want, you know, whatever it was, Italian, I, let's go for sushi tonight. She said, okay. And that was a revelation <laughs> to me. Like I, I had never done anything like this before. So it, it was, it was. And she was totally cool. Revolution. She was just like, yes, let's totally do it. Cool. Yeah. But wow. what I've discovered over time is it doesn't matter if she's not cool with it. Not because um, I, I, I get to dictate, but because it, it's not about I get what I want all the time. It's about being able to put out what you want, what I want, and then you put out what you want, and then we'll deal with it. We'll negotiate. I want Chinese, you want Italian. Okay, great. So how about we have Chinese tonight and Italian tomorrow, or Italian tonight and Chinese tomorrow? Or how about there's a, we see if we can find an Italian Chinese restaurant. Or we go to the food court and I can have Chinese and you can have Italian. Or how about we blow it all off and go out for steak or stay home and like watch TV and eat scrambled eggs. You can do anything you want, but you got to start from a place of honest desire. Mm. And and thank you for sharing that. And, and and I'm curious, you know, what when you think about the ability to get in touch with what you actually wanted when you were sitting in that room by yourself, it would probably it would be encouraging to hear how that process has developed for you because I certainly resonated where that with that with. In the beginning, it would take me an hour. Then it would take me 30 minutes. Then someone says, what do you want? I just say sushi. And I said, 
can't believe I just said that. (laughs) And I'm curious how that evolved for you and for when you're working with nice guy men in your work, what do you see in terms of that initial episode and then how it evolves over time? Well, just like you're saying, it starts at an hour, then it's a half an hour, and then it's much more automatic. Although I want to be clear that like anything else that you learn in life, A, there is a learning curve. B, um, the learning curve is not linear. It's, it looks like this. Uh, C, you can always, f- under stress, you can always fall back to what you, what you did before, um, particularly if you're not paying attention. And D, it's okay to fuck up. To, to, to fuck up is human. So if, if I'm, da- I'm like, I'm, my shit is going and I just turn to my girlfriend and I say, what do you want for dinner? Uh, okay, um, I fucked up. And I can go back, I can say, wait, well, hold on a second. Let me think about what I want for dinner before I just put this all on you. Or if I, I'm not even thinking that and I look back on it, um, and I think, oh yeah, we're, we're eating sushi tonight. I didn't really want sushi. What are we eating sushi for? Well, she said she wanted sushi. Well, how did that happen? Well, I just asked her. Okay, I fucked up. So I can like forgive myself for fucking up. Okay, and I understand I fucked up and hopefully next time I'll be paying more attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful to flush that out. Now, one of the things I've noticed with nice guys is, you know, that learning how to express wants and speaking up is a critical part of the recovery. Mm -hmm. And once nice guys are able to start speaking up, like we've been talking about here, then, as you mentioned, the girlfriend, partner, friend, whatever, is going to say, I hear that this is what you want, but I want this. And obviously, you mentioned the, uh, the ability to compromise. However, it's not always that easy for a nice guy to now start to freely express their wants. And then you're getting what might feel like a perceived rejection or anger or frustration coming out because there's that kind of narcissism or that emotional work that the nice guy is still doing. And this is from personal experience that as I started to share, hey, I want Italian or I want Chinese. And then the, my partner says, well, I want this. And then I start to get really angry at them, right? You know, because your sense of control is threatened and you're already vulnerable because you're speaking your wants, which might be new and uncomfortable. So any advice that you give that either you experienced personally or that you give to nice guys, if this wasn't as much of an issue for you, is once they get over that hump of expressing their wants, how do you then sort of peacefully and fairly negotiate? Because I've seen both with myself and people I coach, one pendulum side right over to the other from way too passive to, oh, now I got my voice. It's my way or the highway. Right, right, right. And so, yeah. And what you're saying is right. There's a pendulum swing. And, um, uh, and what, what has to happen is that there's, a, there's something that's kicking in. And what's kicking in is what I would call a sense of entitlement. Like I, it's, it's not just, hey, now I'm saying what I want, so I want to have that. It's more like 
there's still an underlying problem. And the underlying emotional problem in this one is I've sacrificed my desires all my life. Now it's my turn. Now I'm supposed to get, it's, it's when like when Glover talks about a victim puke, like the nice guy gives and gives and gives. And when he finally asks for something and doesn't get it, he blows up. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Um, and I think he, here's a good chance. Uh, uh, I think a way I might address it with somebody is to say something like history doesn't count. Mm -hmm. Just because you gave the last hundred times doesn't mean she has to give this time. It would be nice if she did, and you could raise that. I gave the last hundred times. I want to get this time. But you're not entitled to it. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of the, – the, the, the term deserve gets thrown around a lot these days. I think particularly among the privileged, like – I deserve a good life, or I deserve to be happy, or I deserve to be loved. And the answer is, no, you don't. You don't deserve squat. Um, you deserve whatever other human beings deserve, and you deserve whatever you worked for and earned, or you deserve what you, what you contractually you know, uh, are obligated to receive. But that's, that's it. You're not required to to have somebody agree with you. You're not required to have people go along with you. And, um, um, and so that's the first thing that I would kind of hold in mind. And the second thing is this, and it's an experience rather than say something I would say to people, although I might share my experience, goes like this. Um, you know, the Rolling Stones song, you can't always get what you want. Um, uh, that's a mantra for me. And it goes, and it, it's, there's a shift that goes along with a shift away from a sense of entitlement. I like the word want, and I don't very much like the word need. And here's why. If I say to you, I need this from you, that puts you in the position of having to give me something or else what, or else you're not my friend, you don't love me. If I really need it and you, and you withhold it, um, fuck you. Uh, who, you know, can I really trust you? But if I say I want something and you say, well, I don't particularly want to give that to you. All right, it's, it, I could live without it. If I say I want Italian and you say I don't want Italian, I can live without Italian food. I can't live without food. I need food, but I don't need Italian food. Um, I could, I can, I can, you know, Chinese sushi is sustenance too. Yeah. The word need kind of uh, just takes on that controlling that other side of the domineering pendulum. Whereas the I want is the, in the middle. Mm -hmm. And then if you went to the other side of the pendulum, it would be Oh, whatever. I, you know, I don't want anything, need anything right. like too passive. Yeah. Right. Like so, that. right. And so need the term need, when I use it, it, I always keep in mind need is always in order to want stands by itself. Um, 
uh, and I'll, I'll break that down. So um, let's say I want sushi. That's, that's a good enough reason. I don't have, that's the end of it. I want to go to Tahiti. I don't want to go to Disneyland. Okay, that's a good enough reason. I don't have to justify it. Need is always in order to. I need, uh, I need food, right? Yeah. I need, I need food because in this moment, my blood sugar is plunging. I'm becoming really irritated and disoriented. And if I don't eat something soon, um, I'm not going to be able to function well as a human being. So the need is always in order to, and I always try to own the in order to mm-hmm. when I use the term need. Want, I just, I don't have to do that. I like that. I like that a lot. So from your bio, it mentions that since 2012, you've been helping nice guys find their confidence and masculinity. One of the areas that I bet you encounter is helping them with confidence and masculinity in the context of dating and relationships. I'm curious, what are the most common issues that show up for nice guys in the context of that area of their life? And how do you support them? with either if they're single, going on dates and meeting new women, or if they're in relationships and supporting them there? That's a broad question. Take your time to unpack that. (laughs) So, um, so really sit back and relax. This answer could take a while. Get your popcorn, guys. It's uh, coronavirus (laughs) podcast time. Um, All right. So, um, one of the big things that um, you, let's talk about people who are in relationships versus people who are not in relationships. And I, I actually have two chapters in the book about getting the love that you want. Robert Glover in his book has a chapter, Getting the Love That You Want. And I broke this down into two because I discovered that Things are different if you're in a relationship than if you're not in a relationship. So if you are in a relationship, then you want to take a really good hard look at who you're with and ask the fundamental question, is this person someone who's going to be able to be flexible enough that as I change, she can change with me? Is she supportive enough where she wants me to change? Is she emotional enough that she can tell me when things are working for her and not working for her. In other words, will she be a good partner for my growth? Well, one of my, yeah, go ahead. I would say half the time the answer will be yes and half the time the answer will be no, because in my experience, nice guys date two kinds of women. Glover talks about them dating one kind of woman, which is a fixer-upper project, damsel in distress, right? 
But there's another kind of woman that nice guys date, which is nice girls. They can something, they like, like women go from the bad boy to the nice guy. Guys go from, you know, kind of project, emotionally reactive women to nice girls. Nice girls are like nice guys and they will be tremendously supportive and they will do their, they have their own issues, don't get me wrong, although they can learn from the process too, but they will be far more supportive. Hmm. Emotionally reactive women who are invested in the nice guy remaining in service to her emotional wants, um, those are problems. And the answer will probably be no, you're, you're going to have to make a change. And I repeat a warning that Dr. Glover gives in his book, which is if you go down this path of growth and change, yep. one of two things is going to happen to your relationship. Either yep. it's going to get a lot better or it's going to go to a well-deserved grave. And yep. And, and that's why. That, that was what I was just about to say, one of my favorite quotes from his book. And it's interesting because, like you said, there are a lot of women out there who, even though they might on the surface complain about the man or the relationship, they like the system that they've co-created with the nice guy, where right. they can be in charge, where there's this drama, it's playing out their past or for whatever reason. And then once that, and, and I remember being as a, in a participant in a group one time where the man actually dropped out of the program because the wife said, if you continue to do this work, I'm out. And that was her way to try to remain in control of him and the situation. And so that's where obviously that latter part of Glover saying it will be sent to a long overdue grave applies. So certainly, yeah. Can I add something to what you just said? Sure. He didn't drop out because she said that. He dropped out because he was too scared to do it on his own. Yep, well said. Yeah, absolutely. He, I don't want to make it that it was either her fault or right. that he wasn't empowered to do it himself. He That's consciously right. or unconsciously, whatever, he chose to leave and to put that probably not functional relationship ahead of his own path forward. That's so, right. That's he, an important that's right. distinction. He prioritized safety over growth. Exactly. Exactly. Well said. So uh, let's talk about the dating okay. realm of a nice guy. And Okay. And here's so, another place that I, I pick up on something that Robert Glover says. He, he, he said he kind of interviewed, after like talking to a lot of nice guys and interviewing them, he came up with a short list of um, qualities that you want to look for in a woman. And um, she should be relatively happy, relatively intelligent, um, committed to personal growth herself, um, uh, likes sex, uh, you know, and, and is a, you know, listens as well as talks. And so that there's a, a sense of, of someone who can build a, a partnership with you rather than somebody that you have to serve. Um, and I would add um, 
that taking your time is critical in order to find out whether or not the woman has those qualities. And here's where nice guys' problems tend to go around in circles. If I live in a dark place and where I think I'm a subhuman worm, and the only thing that can pull me out of my personal hell is the love of some goddess who holds the key to the kingdom of heaven. And the key is located in her underpants so that if, I, if she's willing to fuck me, then that's going to, you know, that proves the love. Then um, um, I have a problem waiting because the longer I wait, the more likely it is that this goddess will see what a fucking total loser I am and run away. So the faster I get her into bed, the faster I conquer her or, you know, imprison her, the sooner I get lifted out and saved. But the problem is, you don't know who the hell you're climbing into bed with. And when you say, you know, when you propose marriage on your first date, you're likely to, much more likely to scare her away. Or, and or if she says yes, um, who the fuck, you're getting somebody just as desperate as you are, if not more so. So who needs that? Then you're just right back where you started again. So taking your time, getting to know this person, seeing, is she generally happy? Does she, is her shit together for the most part? Um, does she, is she capable of love? Is she capable of intelligent conversation? Is she capable of caring and supporting? Um, does she like what you like? Do, you know, can you build a human life together? That's the big first step. Um, you want to, I divide dating into three. They're not phases, they're aspects because they don't go linearly, but interest, intimacy, and commitment. Interest is, I'm interested in you, I'm interested in talking to you, I'm interested in doing things with you, I'm interested in your life, I'm interested in what you think and feel, I'm interested in having sex with you. I'm interested in whatever, you know, possibly, you know, kind of getting to know you better. Intimacy is the process of getting to know somebody. Interest starts right away. Intimacy starts right away, but take, can take a long time, take a lifetime. Commitment is two things, a sense of being attached and a contract. And this is where the problem comes. People, nice guys, want to make contracts before they get to know somebody. They want commitment before intimacy because they're scared that the process of intimacy means they'll get rejected. So they want commitment right away. So they're proposing marriage over the first date, or they're talking about living together after, you know, after a month. They're saying, I love you. They're 
they're glomming on, they're making commitments before there's the process of really getting to know the other person. So. Yeah, that's, that's great. So slow down, kind of look for these types of qualities in women when you're dating and trust your own worth enough to pursue the interest and intimacy before commitment. Right. And trust your gut feelings. If you go to, if you start dating somebody and you're getting these funny feelings like, I don't know, trust them. Yeah. Trust them. This is not the only woman in the world. Yeah. She might be beautiful. She may be the, the most beautiful woman you ever met. It doesn't matter. You can't live. There's an old joke that goes, or an old line that goes, for every beautiful woman sitting alone at a bar, there's a guy who got tired of fucking her. <laughs> That's so true. That's so <laughs> true. And you will too. <laughs> That's good. You know, one question I have, and I might be biased because I'm, I'm here in New York City, and so there's a, there are a lot of very professional kind of masculine women who are single in their 30s, vice presidents in corporations, these types of folks. And it's very common for a client to come to me, a, a, a recovering nice guy, and to be transitioning from the feminine polarity into becoming a masculine energy human, reclaiming that core. And then they ultimately wind up being in a relationship where they're too masculine. And so obviously, like you said earlier, you want to be with someone who's committed to their own personal development. And so, but, but putting that aside, just saying, okay, someone's single, a nice guy is single and transitioning into their masculine core. How can they identify um, a, a feminine, a more feminine energy woman? I know every human has both a masculine and a feminine mm-hmm. side, but is that something that you ever think about in your life or your practice in terms of, different things to identify when a man who is maybe even new to claiming their masculine energy is now more confident to be a provider and what sort of things should they be looking for when dating? Yeah, good question. Um, What I would say is something like uh, going back to trusting your gut for a second. uh, A thing I like to do is feel my way through life. And so um, I always want to be as in tune and in touch as I possibly can with my own emotional instrument. Like I want to feel the, the, the resonance, the feelings. And so I, does it feel good or feel bad or feel this or feel that? If I am transitioning, from more feminine energy, more passive, more compliant, to more, to taking the lead, setting the tone, being in the driver's seat. Um, First off, I have to do that. I have to actually say something like, I want Italian food tonight. I can't say, what do you want for dinner, honey? So the, the first step is to actually be doing it. And when I do it, I wanna hear the response. Um, 
So uh, if the response is, gee, that sounds nice. Um, uh, if the response is, yeah, you know, I was, I, I don't really want Italian, but you know, we went where I went last time and maybe uh, I'll go with you or I'll find something, I'll make it work. Um, not that the other person should be 100% compliant, um, but she needs to honor what you're saying and eventually, and, and um, not want to be taking the lead herself. There can only, there's only room in the driver's seat for one person. Every relationship, if, if every relationship has a husband and a wife, there can only be one of each. Otherwise, and it doesn't matter what gender they are. Nice guys are the wife. That's okay. You can actually, by the way, and this is a tricky thing, but I, I'm somebody who is, I try my best to be not genuinely non-judgmental. If I decide that what I really want is to be the wife in a relationship, and I want a ballsy woman who goes out and takes the lead and I'll, I'll you know, cook omelets, that's great. You made that decision consciously. It is what you want, which is not a nice guy approach. It's honest and direct. Mm -hmm. But if you decide that you want to be the husband, you have to have somebody who's going to go along with you because otherwise you'll either be fighting or in some kind of tricky situation that's going to be hard to negotiate. Can I tell a, a story? Uh, I'll go tell ahead. a quick story. So this thing, I, as you could see, I like to use what do you want for dinner, right? So I had a guy come to me, true nice guy with a very tough wife, right? And we went through the thing and, you know, go off by yourself, figure out what you want, say what you want for dinner. He did that. He said, I want Italian, right? And she said, I don't want Italian. So, because he was working with me, he said, oh, okay, I'll tell you what, we'll go where you want tonight if we go for Italian, or we go where I want next time. She said, great, fine. So we did that. He went, they went wherever they went, and the next time, she, he said, okay, now it's my turn, I want to go for Italian. And she said, no, I won't go. Okay, okay. now you have a different problem. Now you have to decide Okay, I I have a that's a husband. It's actually an asshole husband. Yeah, it's the shadow masculine. That's not authentic masculine. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. This is somebody who who simply wants whatever she wants and doesn't give a shit about what you want. So I'm I, just for the purposes of the audience. How do you advise? I have my own thoughts, but how do you advise him on how to handle that situation? Well, I can I. I know what he did and I know what I would do. <laughs> what he did was give up and go back. Now, I, I don't, I don't want to be overly critical. He had a small child. Right. And that's, that's a huge factor. And he didn't want to get a divorce. So what I think he basically said was, okay, I will take my balls and cut them off and put them in a safe deposit box. And in about 18 years, I'll get them back. <laughs> oh I, I can't live like that. Of course. So I, I would say, honey, we have to talk about this. If I, if we make an agreement, 
and you can't abide by it, then we have a fundamental trust issue in our relationship, and I cannot stay with someone I can't trust. So I'm going to give you a choice. Either you abide by your commitments or we're through. That's a hell of a boundary. And I don't mean that in a superfluous way. I mean that in a perfect way. I mean, you have to be direct and give them the opportunity to respond to that. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, and I'll be willing to kind of, uh, work a little bit if she said well gee I that you're absolutely right I wouldn't want you to lie to me about and not live up to your commitments and so I guess I have a problem uh, but I don't know what to do I'm willing to go to therapy couples counts all right we can work on it together yeah. but ultimately you have to agree that that's what has to happen yeah the only thing I, I would maybe not necessarily include the first time of that issue coming up was and if you don't do this, we're through. Not because it's not true necessarily, but because that could send a woman into some kind of her own panic mode. But I, I mean, yeah, that's, I, it's funny. The next question I was going to get into was setting boundaries and you jumped the gun. And that to me is a great example of setting a relationship boundary. Yeah. You know, I wrote a whole chapter in my book on assertiveness. Yeah. And, um, uh, which is an additional chapter. It's not in Dr. Glover's book. And I said the same thing that you just said, which is, you know, uh, uh, to set boundary, a boundary is not defined by words. A boundary is defined by consequences. And so um, um, I will wait if need be to, um, to introduce the consequences because uh, uh, if I don't have to, if the, if the other person will go along, then uh, I don't have to introduce consequences. But I've got them in the back of my head at, at, at all times. Like, if this doesn't happen, I'm going, I know where the boundary is and I'm going to introduce it. And I'm going to tell the person what the consequences are. I like that a lot, you know, and, and I do that in my business and I bet you do too, where you have someone show up and they haven't paid their bill for therapy or for me, I do coaching and it's easy to say, you know, you, you have to pay me and they say, Oh yeah, yeah, I'll pay you. It's all, it's harder, but more powerful to say no sessions until you pay me. One, mm-hmm. one of my old coaches, I referred him um, a colleague of mine and the guy and the, the old coach, his system was you made the payment the day of the call or earlier, but you pay in advance of the session. And uh, the guy gets on, the coach gets on the phone with the person I referred and he said, hey, uh, you didn't make your payment for the session today. And my colleague says, oh yeah, yeah, I've been busy, I'll pay after. And my coach said, no PayPal, no session. And, and that was the boundary. And you will lose clients because of that. Mm-hmm. The same way you'll lose girlfriends or whatever. But I like that, the consequences of the boundaries. And, right. and owning, like holding that end of the bargain, not mm-hmm. threatening the consequence without 
delivering that, holding it back. If you, right. If you threaten the consequence and you don't deliver, then you have now established that you are toast. That that other person can do anything they want to you. Yeah, because you've gone against your own word. That's right. And yeah. Good. Uh, what else is in the book that is worth highlighting in this conversation? Nothing. That's it. You covered it. That's everything. it. All right. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of stuff, you know. Uh, um, uh, if you've read, for, for, for guy, guys out there listening, if you read Dr. Glover's book, and I know many of you have, um, and if you haven't, I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, it changed my life and it changed the life of a lot of people. And so uh, by all means, go and read it. And then what I do is I go, I take each chapter. It, Dr. Glover has in his book what he calls breaking free activities. And there, it's about, there's about 40 of them or something like that. But they're, they're a bit on the sketchy side. Um, it's what actually prompted me to write this book because guys would buy No More Mr. Nice Guy. They'd read it. They'd go, oh, yeah, that's me. Now, what do I do? And they would try to do the exercises, but they, they, they found them kind of hard to do and, and not really easy, like kind of vague. And so what they – so – I said to Dr. Glover, you got to write a workbook, you know, with takes people through. And he said, I don't want to. Um, so I said, I'll write it with you. And he said, I don't want to. You write. So I, I, what I did was I took some of his breaking free activities and exercises I created. And for every chapter in his book, there is a chapter in my book that um, takes the basic concepts he talks about and for each one creates, a, there's an exercise and for each exercise, there's an introduction, there's an exercise. Each exercise has several steps. So it really does take you through step by step. That's no joke for the title. It's step by step. Every, every chapter has three, four exercises. Every exercise has two, three, four steps, makes it very clear how to do it. And then every, after the, the exercise is an example of how somebody did it or how you can do it or what it would look like in a hypothetical situation. So everything that's in the book and more has a chapter in my book. So there's there's a huge amount. That's excellent. I'm just curious, have you ever gone down to Mexico and uh, either hung out with Glover, or gone to one of his events? I, I know he moved down there, I, I don't know when, but I'm just curious. I think he moved down about five years ago and yeah, I've been down there. Well, he, we've become friends, Dr. Yeah. Glover and I. And so yeah. I, I, I've gone down and hung out with him down there. Um, and he comes up, he st I live on a boat in Marina del Rey, California. And he, when he, he, he goes to Seattle uh, to visit, he has a mother there and some friends. Yeah, I know he was living there before, yeah. 
Right. So when he goes back and forth, a lot of the time he'll stop in Los Angeles and then he stays on the boat. We hang out and we <laughs> eat dinner and we have the conversations about, about, you know, about nice guys, about life. Right. Yeah. Uh, in, in fact, yesterday we recorded a conversation that's going to be part of like a goodie bag or a, a freebie that you get when you buy the book. Um, and so, um, uh, it, so it's it, it's fun. We have a we have a good relationship, and so yeah, I've been down there, and um, and it's it, it's it's nice. I met his wife. I met I met her, their kids. You know, it's it's uh, it's fun. He's a, he's such a good guy. Yeah, you know, it's great. I didn't re under really know about this kind of whole nice guy culture. I was recommended the book years ago, but in my journey. I dove into the book hardcore last year. I was a classic nice guy in the midst of a nice guy relationship with an angry, depressed woman. Um, we split up in the fall of last year. And Congratulations. I, yes, thank you. <laughs> you know, the, the relationship, you know, we both got a lot out of it. And, um, and I remember when I picked up that book and I started expressing myself, I went through, I did like a page a day. I don't know if you know this, but there are like nice guy groups all over the U.S. And there was a nice guy group in New York City and I went to it and uh, you bring the book and you would do a breaking free exercise with everybody. Mm. But if any nice guy groups or group leaders are listening to this right now, the, this workbook would make a lot more sense because as you mentioned, the breaking free exercises are few and far between um, scattered throughout the book. So that's, that's really helpful. And um, Dr. Pariser, author of No More Mr. Nice Guy, The Hero's Journey, a step-by-step -step guide to becoming an integrated male. When does it come out? Where can people get it? It's on, um, uh, it's on Amazon. It will be an ebook and a paperback. And I just got a contract to record for an audio book. So it'll be on all three media. And it, um, it goes live officially. Um, you can get it July 14th. It's now July 3rd, I think. So in 11 days. And there is a pre-sale button now so that you can go ahead and order it. It's, you know, $9.99 for the ebook on Amazon. And that's where you get it. And um, when you get it, uh, I we're, we're trying to insert this in, the, in one of the early pages. There'll be a link to my website where you, uh, where you can get a couple of freebies, including an additional chapter that I wrote on the process of change with some exercises for that as well. And also uh, probably the conversation that Dr. Glover and I had yesterday, an audio or a video of that. Um, so uh, um, that's where you go. Oh, my website is www.drpariserTherapy.com, D-R-P-A-R-I-S-E-R-Therapy.com. Beautiful. Are you reading the audiobook? Yeah. Good. I love it when the author actually reads the book. Me too. Uh, even, even good narrators. Occasionally, there'll be a, a really good one. Yeah. Um, uh, but mostly... I just think that the author makes more sense out of what he was trying to say. Absolutely. 
Dr. Pariser, uh, thank you again for coming on the show. Guys, no more Mr. Nice Guy, The Hero's Journey. Get the guide. You can get it on pre-sale now. Uh, also, episode 55 of my show is where you can hear Dr. Glover if you want to go back and revisit that. Dr. Pariser, thanks again for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This was a great conversation. Those were great questions, and I really appreciated the, the opportunity to get the word out. Hey, likewise. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. If it's your first time here, please make sure to subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app or in Spotify. Also, please leave us a rating or written review. This helps others learn about the show and spread the word to new and more people. Lastly, if you're looking to take your personal life, business, or career to the next level, and you want access to me, as well as my community of like-minded people, head over to courses.brendanhburns.com and join us in Mastery Academy, my membership site that comes with online course content, as well as live coaching calls every two weeks, hosted by me personally. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.